You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Thou shalt not. Does that make you cringe a little? You hear those words? Maybe just the archaic language makes you tremble. We don't talk in thou shalt all the time, unless we're rehearsing Shakespeare or something. But I don't think it's just the archaic language that makes us a little uncomfortable, but so much of the focus on those two hard shouts, not. Maybe when you think of the Ten Commandments, and then maybe they make you cringe a little bit too. Like you shrug your shoulders maybe, or maybe you hear them or you think of them and they feel so limiting, like, oh, that's old school stuff. And I don't know what to make of them. I, I'm, a, I'm a Christian now. I'm in the new covenant. Who cares about the Ten Commandments? What role do they play well, that's where we are now today in the book of Exodus. After finishing up our vision series, now we're back in the book of Exodus. And where we've been from chapter 1 to through 19 is God has set Israel free with his mighty hand and with his outstretched arm, with plague after plague, miracle after miracle, and now crossing through the Red Sea. Now the people have arrived at the bottom of Mount Sinai, and they are hearing from the Lord, lightning and thunder and a quaking mountain. And God speaks these 10 commandments to his people. And here's how we need to view them. We all have different thoughts about the 10 commandments and and their place. Should they be in government buildings? We're going to talk about that. So just hold on. But here's where we do need to view how we need to think about the 10 commandments. They are actually laws from his love. They are actually laws from the love of God. So let's read them together. And if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. Since, the, since these words come to us and the same Sinai quaking authority and the power of God. So through the Holy Spirit, Moses tells us, beginning in verse one, then God spoke all these words. Yahweh, the Lord, your God, I am, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have any other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself in the shape of anything in the heavens above or the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow and worship to them. Do not serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the father's iniquity to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. But showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, or the, or the resident alien who was in your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. Honor your father and mother, so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. 
Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. Do not covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or or anything that belongs to your neighbor. All the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain surrounded by smoke. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. You speak to us and we'll listen, they said to Moses. But don't let God speak to us or we will die. Moses responded to the people, don't be afraid. For God has come to test you so that you will fear him and will not sin. And the people remained standing at a distance as Moses approached the total darkness where God was. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us now as we look at your law, as we look at your word. Would a 10-point and more diagnosis happen on our hearts today. Meet us now, King Jesus, by the Spirit. And in your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. I love being a dad. It's one of the great joys of my life. When you see the the smile of your kids and their laughter and the fun they have, it's incredible. But it also bears great responsibility. Oliver, you know, he tells me all the time, even this morning, we call each other best buddy. Hey, best buddy. Hey, best buddy. But I also have to be a strong authority figure in his life. I have to tell him often, you cannot run in the parking lot. Why? I like to run. I know you do. But I'm going to be totally honest with you, buddy. You can't run in the parking lot because I don't want you to get flattened by a car. I don't want you to get smashed by a car and I have to take you to the hospital. I'm just honest with him. They'll hit me. Yes. Because today, people are looking at their phones all the time, even though everyone knows they're not supposed to. You're going to get hit, all right? Okay, okay. Nally and I tell him all the time, you can't lean over the top of your bunk bed. Don't stand up on your bunk bed and lean over. Why? I like to. I know. But we tell him, we're out to ruin your life. We just can't. No. We want to make sure you don't have fun. No, that's not what we say. It's because, buddy, I don't want you to, your head to get whacked by your ceiling fan. I'd like to avoid that. And when Ivy's, you know, she was cutting up a banana the other day, my, my nine-year-old, and she decides to use the biggest, sharpest butcher knife we have for a banana. I tell her, hey, sweetie, you don't need to use that. You're, you're, not, you're not quartering a cow. You, you can use a butter knife will be fine just to go through it. Why? Because I don't want her to learn knife skills? No. Because she doesn't need to mince a banana along with her cuticle. We, as parents and as a father, we exercise authority not because we lack love for our children, not because we want to squash their fun and we want to minimize their lives. Rather, all of these rules and all of our authority comes for our kids because we love them, because we want what's best for them. And we know as parents, you won't always get it right. But you know who always does get it right? Our Father in heaven. These Ten Commandments. Beloved, these these are not limitations on your joy. The Ten Commandments are not God trying to rein in how much fun you can experience before you head to the tomb. The Ten Commandments are not God trying to minimize your joy. Listen, they are actually God maximizing your joy, showing you what it really means to live as a human, what it means to truly be human. And I had not realized until this week, as I thought about the Ten Commandments, 
that the Ten Commandments are actually a redialing of what Adam and Eve experienced with God in the Garden of Eden before sin entered the world. Think about what the Ten is basically, what we just read. You summarize them. What's happening in the Ten Commandments? God is worshipped. God is central. Marriage is sacred. And humans honor one another. That's the Ten Commandments. God is worshipped. Humans honor one another. What ha- that's exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden before sin entered the world. Adam and Eve enjoyed God. Their, their marriage was incredible. They honored one another. They were naked and unashamed. They honored one another deeply. But then sin enters the world. And how did it begin? Not with the bite of that fruit, but as Moses tells us in Genesis, when Eve saw, she desired the tree. Same word for she coveted. Then they took and they ate, and everything spun out of control. But what God is doing in the Ten Commandments is God is bringing his children close at Mount Sinai and bringing them close oddly in Concordia Lutheran High School's cafetorium with the basketball game going on behind us. I'm just going to pretend those cheers are for the sermon, all right? What God is doing in the Ten Commandments now is he's he's drawing his children close and he's saying, look at my design." Look, look at what I'm inviting you to, a place where you are honored, where you are safe, a place where your stuff is safe, and to a place where, where you can be honored in marriage, a place where romance can be rightly enjoyed, where humans respect one another. This is what I have for you. See, God's commands, they're not crushing, they're actually dignifying, they're, they're restoring and, and loving And I think if we even think about this moment in biblical history, Exodus 20, and we trace all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, we're seeing the issues pop up where people need direction. We're seeing, oh, we could have used some rules here. We could have used some guidance. We could have used some Ten Commandments. Just trace it back. Commandment 1, have no other gods before me. Where did they just come from? Egypt, a pantheon of gods are worshipped. And now the Lord is saying, don't act like them. Just follow me. God says, don't take my name in vain. Don't misuse my name. What was happening in Egypt? They had incantations. They had spells where they would abuse their God's names and try to get their attention and try to make things happen. God says, you don't have to do that. I know what you need. Sabbath day. Why do they need a Sabbath? What have they experienced in Egypt? Pharaoh worked them ruthlessly. And God says, I don't need you 24-7. You need me 24-7. And we're going to highlight that by you take a day off. You don't do anything. I will provide for you because I'm a gracious God. Honor your parents. Where do we see dishonoring of parents? In Joseph's story at the end of Genesis, where Joseph's brothers act, lie to their parents, say, he got eaten, he's dead, and they sold him into slavery. Don't murder. Like Moses, who killed that Egyptian at the beginning of Exodus, and like Cain, who killed his brother Abel. Don't commit adultery. Like Lamech, who boasts right after Genesis chapter 4, that he's got multiple wives. Don't steal like Jacob, who stole his brother's birthright. Don't lie like Abraham, who lied about Sarah being his sister, or Adam, who blamed Eve. It was your fault, God. That's, he's using the Lord's name in vain and blaming God. It was You gave me this woman. See, the Ten Commandments, they're showing us they're diagnosing our problem and then showing us where, how we're meant to live and how we can live again. And here's where we have to begin. 
we got to see where, where do these commandments spring up from? Grace is the context of God's commands. Point number one, grace is the context of God's commands. A lot of our problems with the Ten Commandments and with laws and obedience and following God, our displeasure with the Ten Commandments is that we don't know the context. What situation do these commands come from? Not out of a laminating machine, not just even at Mount Sinai, but what's the greater context? Verse two, look at verse two of Exodus 20. Yahweh speaks and says, I am the Lord your God, And here it is, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. This is the context, beloved. Deliverance. Don't view the Ten Commandments as an isolated list of do nots. View them as the fruit of deliverance. They come on the heels of redemption. We think the New Testament is the only way that God operates with grace first, and then here are ways to follow me. Old Testament's the same pattern. Redemption comes, and then here are the rules for walking with him, following God. Deliverance is first, and then obedience is called for. God's already calling them, it's calling him their God before they've done anything. Look what he says in two again. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out. You know why I'm your God? Not because you obeyed me. Not because you impressed me. I am the Lord your God because I set you free. And the same thing happens with us. Jesus is your Savior, not because you obeyed him. You didn't obey yourself into his goodness. His grace brought you in. So I want to really encourage us. Do not view the Ten Commandments outside of the Exodus. The Ten Commandments cannot be viewed outside of the context of blood-painted doorframes and people walking through the Red Sea. We must understand the Ten Commandments when we want them laminated, hanging in a classroom. And we want them inscribed on government buildings. They, I can promise you, the Ten Commandments were not created and given by God to be ignored in American government buildings. What were they given for? And when were they given? They were given to people who in the context were liberated from a dark power, who experienced the grace of God and are walking with him toward their promised land. And if you are in Christ, they are for you too. Because the blood of Christ was painted on a wooden cross for you where he died paying for our sins and where we were baptized with him, not through the Red Sea, but baptized in him when we believed in him and that we were raised with him to newness of life. And now he says, come with me and we will walk together towards the new Jerusalem to come. See, grace is the context of God's commands, Old Testament and New Testament. His grace comes first and his grace calls us to walk with him. I love that Moses didn't show up. Exodus doesn't begin with Ten Commandments. Exodus begins with a prophet showing up saying, God's going to set y'all free. Not Moses saying, y'all need to obey these 10 things and then God will let you go. That's how we think Christianity operates. There's a list of things I must do and then I can experience God's love. It do not get them backwards. Christianity always is God's love coming to us. God setting you free. And then him saying, now follow me. 
Titus 2, he will train us to renounce ungodliness. The grace of God has appeared, training us to renounce ungodliness. But people in the Bible Belt, just like Israel, we think we can't obey our way into God's good graces. Hear me, you cannot obey your way into God's good graces. You know how you get into God's good graces? God's grace puts you in God's graces. That's the only way. And I wonder if you know God's grace. Do you know God's grace? And don't, don't hear what I'm asking, because I know we're Bible Belt people. When I say, do you know God's grace, we automatically think uh, grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Yeah, I know God's grace. I'm not asking you for a definition of God's grace. I know most of us could give a seminary quality approved definition of God's grace, but maybe, a, maybe I can frame it with an illustration for you. You know what pregnancy is. And when a, when a mom is pregnant, how does the man talk? How does the father talk? We all become liars. We break a commandment. We say things like, oh yeah, we're four months pregnant. No, we are not. Yeah, we're at nine months now. It's getting really tough. We've both put on a lot of weight. No. Oh, we had the baby. We did not have the baby on the 21st. She did. So I know what pregnancy is, but I have not experienced it. And my fear in North Houston is that a lot of people know what God's grace is, but they have not experienced it. Have you? Have you gone through an exodus from your past, from your sins, where blood was applied to your life and God passed over you and set you free because the blood of Christ is over you? And that he called you out of darkness and you've been risen from the dead with Christ. If that hasn't happened to you, it can happen today. If you simply believe and if you'll discover that God's grace is available to you today by the living Christ. See, grace is always the context of life with God. And it's also the context of life with one another. This is how the Ten Commandments break down. The first four are all about how to honor God and love God, how to walk with God. And the final six now go horizontal, how we honor and love one another. And this is exactly how Jesus, our Lord, summarizes the Ten Commandments. In Matthew 22, look at what Jesus says. A teacher comes up to him, an expert of the law, and says, Teacher, to Jesus, which command in the law is the greatest? Out of the 613, there's more than just the 10. Out of all of them, which is the best? Thinking they're going to stump Jesus. Jesus is never stumped. He said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the summary of the first four commandments. This is the greatest and most important command. It's the second. He only asked for one. Jesus says, you need two because you cannot separate these. Love your neighbor as yourself. And this phrase, all the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. That phrase, all the law and the prophets, Jesus, that is a phrase just meaning the entire Old Testament. Jesus says the entire Old Testament can be summarized on these two. Love the Lord your God, the first four of the Ten Commandments, and love your neighbor as yourself. View them as though they are you. And then you know what the point of the law is. So here's where we begin. How does the Ten Commandments apply to our life right now? Jesus says, here's how. Love God as God. Love God as God. Look at verse 3. So first commandment, here's what the Lord's telling us. Do not have other gods beside me. 
Love God as God, no one else. And your Bible might say, have no other gods before me. And that's, we think that in English sounds like, like a ranking system. That's not the analogy. That's not the language the Lord's using. It's more before my face. Have no other gods before my face. Which seems like an odd way to describe that, but here's the picture that the Lord's using. Because God is a loving God who is constantly looking at his people, loving his people, adoring his people. He's saying, don't you dare obstruct my view with an idol. Don't you dare look to another God that will get between us. Don't you dare think that Artemis of Ephesus or that Pharaoh or that Baal or, or Asherah or any of those, don't put anything between us because my gaze is on you and your gaze needs to be on me. Don't block my sight. This is a countercultural command in the ancient Near East where they are leaving a land. They're leaving Egypt and all of the people in this Arabian Peninsula, they all worship a ton of gods. And here God is saying, there is no one else. It's just me. Don't look to anyone else or anything else thinking that can provide the way I can. Don't depend on anything else instead of me. I love the song that we sing that you have no rival. You have no equal. God has no competitor. This, this is what the Lord is saying. Don't act like I'm in competition with other gods or other things or other people. But I wonder how often is God in competition in our lives? And God often loses in our lives to our desires, to our wants. There's a reason why the Ten Commandments begin with the introduction of, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. God begins before the commandments with an introduction of himself again. Do you know why? Because obedience to God begins with knowing God. You cannot zip to obedience. Obedience to God begins with knowing God, knowing him truly and reverently and lovingly. And the reason why we ignore God's commands and we disregard them and we, don't, we ignore them just like they're a laminated piece of paper is because we think too little of God. Because we don't think highly of his grace and of his mercy. We don't think highly of his love. We really think too much of ourselves. And we don't view his commands as love from our Father in heaven. That's why he says, get me right. I'm the Lord who brought you out. And don't view me as some statue, verse 4, that can just get moss on it and be ignored. Verse 4, do not make an idol for yourself in the shape of anything, heaven, earth, above the earth, under the water. Don't bow down and worship to them. No idols, no statues. Why? Why doesn't the Lord want us bowing down to statues and icons and these things? Verse 4, I am a jealous God. It's an odd phrase for like we think jealousy is bad. It's odd. I mean, it's for the living Lord to say, I'm a jealous God. This is a lot of emotion booming out of heaven. God is not a stoic statue to be revered and to have food placed in front of it and bowed down to. When the Lord says, I am a jealous God, he is using marriage language. God is saying, I am so thoroughly committed to you. It pains me when it's not reciprocated. When I become abused 
And Ray Orland helps us understand this with, the, with an analogy when he says, imagine a husband saying to his wife, hey, I don't care who's in our bed with you when I'm not here. Just hide it before I get home. That would never happen. And if I'm home, just keep it down. No, husbands are jealous for the love, for commitment, for love, for, for honoring. So what the Lord is showing us here is that idolatry is adultery towards God. Idolatry is adultery towards him. That's why the prophets are filled with language of harlotry and whoredom of Israel towards the Lord. And, and for us, beloved, our idols are not statues. Our, our, idols, our idols are way more covert. And John Calvin was right when he said that our hearts are like idol factories. When you wake up in the morning, the morning shift begins. The idol factory turns on. And we become like Lucy and Ethel. They could come zipping by. And we just try to grab them. You can YouTube that later. Lucy Chocolate Factory. And we are trying to manage them, but we cannot. And it gets out of control. What's fascinating about our hearts is that even when we are asleep, our idol factory is running. Think about your dreams. Our dreams are not always holy. We lust in them. We rage in them. We covet in them. What's ha- why, what, how do we explain dreams like that? Because the idol factory is pulling the night shift. So what are the idols that we turn to? You can think of an idol as something as anything that you look to and you demand of it, give me heaven. Give me my version of heaven. Give me the thing that I've got to have now or else I will be miserable. You give it to me. It can be power. That's why husbands and fathers can be such jerks sometimes because they have such a a power idol that they've got to be in control and they've got to be booming down and they've got to have people cowering before them because they want to be like the serpent. It could be an approval idol. I just got to be liked. I, I, I can't have anyone dislike me, so I'll just do whatever I can. It's got to be comfort. I'll go into as much debt as I need to to make sure that I have what I have and I have that I'm comfortable and entertained. It could be a person. It could be a place. It can be anything. It can be an experience that if I get this, I'll finally be happy. I'll finally be content. I'll have purpose. My life won't feel meaningless. I'll finally feel loved. All of those are idolatry. And idols do nothing but bring disappointment and damage. But you know what God brings? Look at verse 6. Look at what he says. I bring, I'm showing faithful love. That second credit card debt racking up in the tens of thousands will not love you back. But you know what will love you back? Yahweh. That promotion at work that you had to stab somebody in the back for, thinking you'll finally find purpose, that will not love you back. But you know who will love you back? God. That bottle, that puff, that experience, that pill, those things will not love you back. But God will show faithful love to a thousand generations, a way of speaking, an unending amount of people, of those who love me. And then keep my commandments. Not who keep my commandments and then learn to love me. No, no, no. Who love me 
and follow me. God gives faithful love, and we learn to honor him as God, to to treat him as God. And even in the way we speak, that's what verse 7 is about. Don't misuse the name of the Lord your God. Don't, Don't take the Lord's name in vain. So here's what taking the Lord's name in vain means and doesn't mean. I mean, the reason God says this is because we will look in our sinful nature to dishonor God whenever we can, even if it's with his name. That's why God's name often gets linked to cuss words. Have you ever noticed how no one ever yells Vishnu in traffic? How come no one ever yells Buddha in a fight? How come no one ever yells out Lord Zokar of Zientology when they hit their finger with a hammer? Because even in our sinful nature, it is in us. It just comes out to dishonor God whenever we can. Even in our cussing, it shows we know God is there and we rebel against him. But taking God's name in vain is even deeper than that. Taking God's name in vain, I like the way the CSB uses it, is it's a misuse of his name. It's not to worship him, but to leverage his name to try to get what we want for our own sinful purposes. And I don't mean to be funny, but I do mean to be funny here. I want every middle school, high school, college-age girl to pay attention to this verse. When you are ready to break up with your boyfriend, do not say, God God just told me we should break up. No, he didn't. You're just, you got to face the music, okay? You can't leverage God's name for your purposes. Because what if your boyfriend responds, that's odd. God told me we should stay together. So which one of you is the false prophet? See, we misuse God's name when we grab it and we try to leverage it for our own purposes, for our own fleeting desires. Listen, God's name is too holy to be name-dropped. God's name is too holy to be name-dropped to get what we want. We honor him by how we speak of him and even by how we live in our day of rest. Look at verse 8. The Sabbath day, keep it holy. Work six days, take one off. What's amazing about the Ten Commandments is that I think we should ask two questions as you read them, as you study them on your own, as you come across them. You ask yourself, what kind of God, what does it say about God that he would tell us these things? What insight about God's heart do we learn? And then also, what does this teach us about ourselves? Now, with the Sabbath, I always hear people say, do we have to keep the Sabbath still? Do we still have to take a day of rest? Are we required to do that? Here, here's my answer. Why wouldn't you want to? You see how it highlights our own sinful tendencies? Our gracious God says, take a day off, rest, put your feet up. And we go, how dare you? How dare you tell me to rest? This is God's kindness, inviting us to enjoy him, enjoy one another, enjoy his creation. And in Christ, it's made even bigger. So we do keep the Sabbath, not just on Saturday, not just on Sunday, but now the Lord is our Sabbath. He's our Sabbath rest every day of our lives. We don't have to fight and scratch and claw and make much of ourselves and establish ourselves and prove ourselves and wonder if we've done enough that in Christ it's all been taken care of and that our Father in heaven knows what we need even before we ask. Rest. Honor God as God. 
And if we're going to honor God as God and love God as God, what eventually happens, it has to happen next, is that we love those made in God's image. We love and honor God, and then we love and honor everyone else made in God's image. That's the rest of the Ten Commandments. And these are all incredibly straightforward, verses 12 through 17. You don't need any Hebrew word studies. I wonder what do not murder really means in Hebrew. Exactly what it says. We don't need to do a word study on here's what do means. And, and this is in the uh, participle. T- no, it doesn't matter. Do not murder. Straightforward. These are all straightforward. But we ask, what kind of God tells us these things? What does it tell us about God? What does it tell us about ourselves? Think about honor your father and mother. What kind of God tells us? What kind of God invades in our families, goes under our roofs, goes into our homes, our family meals, and looks at the children and says, honor them. Honor your parents, kids. And tells adults, honor your your parents. God says this because we have a God who loves your family. You worship and serve a God who cares about your home, who cares about your parenting, who cares about your kids. God is not distant and disconnected from us. He's involved in the most personal elements of our lives, marriage and family. He wants peace, so he instructs us. Here's how you can have harmony in your home. Honor your parents. Listen to them. Respect them. And Paul summarizes the second half of the Ten Commandments for us in Romans 13 when he says the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, don't, do not covet, and any other commandment, any other one, are all summed up by this commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. So even when I was tweeting about the Ten Commandments this week, as I often do when I'm studying for sermons, I, I tweet things out and just interacting with stuff. And I had people coming back to me on Twitter, no, we don't have to obey the Ten Commandments. We're, we're people in Christ now. They're, they're not for us. Paul seems to think they are. And that they're fulfilled in this, love your neighbor as yourself. This is the rest of the, of the Ten. Treat your neighbor as though that's you. And how you would want to be treated. Do you want your stuff stolen? No. So don't steal from others. Would you want your marriage, your spouse to be with someone else? No. Then you, then you don't go with someone else. Would you want to be killed? No. Now the church of Christ, you are loving your neighbor as yourself because it is yourself. When you see another Christian, you are seeing your arm. You're seeing your foot. You're seeing You. God is saying, honor one another's personhood. So do not commit adultery. Here's what the Lord is saying. Honor marriage. Honor your marriage. And honor other people's marriages. Marriage is a beautiful gift from God, filled with amazing love and and romance. So don't dishonor it. Don't dishonor your spouse. Don't dishonor others. Stealing and, and coveting. Lying, this perjury, it's, it is perjury. Don't give false testimony. This is law language. But the pr- bigger principle is, yes, don't lie. Live the truth and tell the truth. How you'd want to be treated, how you'd want to have your life and your possessions dealt with. This is all great kindness from God. He wants you to live in a place where you are safe, your marriage is flourishing, and your possessions aren't taken from you. But our sinful instinct is to, well, we want to covet, we want to crave what isn't ours, and we feel bitter, and we feel angry, and we're resentful, and that's when we cheat, and we steal, and we lie. 
So honor one another and honor God. This is what the Ten Commandments are calling us. So go and obey them. I'll see you next week. Now, we all have a big problem, don't we? Because we've all failed monumentally at these commands. Jesus even tells us in, the, in his Sermon on the Mount, which you see the connection. Mount Sinai, they're getting these, these, these laws, these calls to obedience from God. Jesus is at the Mount, Sermon on the Mount, and he tells them, even if you're angry with your brother, you, you've already committed murder in your heart. You have lust in your heart. You've already committed adultery in your heart. Jesus tells us we have sinned at levels deeper than we realize. So you can't just hear these and go, oh, I could do these. Jesus says, you, you can't. We've all disobeyed them. And Paul tells us to even disobey one of them means you're guilty of all of it. Only one person was born and came out of the womb with no other gods before him. Only one person was born and came out of the womb and grew up and never misused the name of Yahweh. Only one person was born and lived on this earth and honored his parents and did not murder, but instead he was murdered and does not commit adultery on his wife, the church, and never stole, but instead he was stolen from and never gave false testimony, even when he said, I and the Father are one. He was never filled with sinful rage. Even as he was nailed to the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We've all sinned greatly. And this is where real freedom begins. For us to realize, I am not a decent person. But instead, I am a sinner that is in great need of Jesus, who is the Savior. And Jesus can save you today. I don't know, maybe you're familiar with the way of the master. It's an evangelism technique where they ask people if they've obeyed the Ten Commandments and it comes up no, and that they're worthy of death. And Jesus says, I came for this exact purpose so that you, even though you've disobeyed the law, that it would be given to you as though you did obey. Jesus did not come to take away the law. Look at what he says in Matthew 7. Don't think I came to abolish the law and the prophets. I did not come to wrap up the Old Testament and throw it in a cosmic trash can. Jesus says, no, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He came to live the law of God for you. We've had other gods before him. Jesus says, I have not. We've had murder and rage and lust in our hearts. And some of us have acted on that externally. And Jesus says, I did not. Jesus came to live the law of God for you. And he died in your place. And at the cross, what happens, Jesus gives you all of his law keeping. Here's all of my obedience, all of my law keeping. And Jesus takes all of our law breaking on himself. And he dies that blasphemer's death so that you could become a believer, so that you could become a child of God, so you wouldn't receive the wrath of God. But Jesus received the curse of breaking God's law, as Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming that curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. All of your law breaking was put on Christ and all of his law keeping was given to you. And now by the Holy Spirit, he enables you to live them now. None of us can obey the Ten Commandments to become right with God. 
but we do begin to obey them now because we've been made right with God. Jesus says, if you love me, you obey my commands. If you abide with me, you obey my commands. And he says, come with me, and I will teach you. Jesus is teaching us how to follow him. These commandments, beloved, they not only echo back to what Eden was like, they echo forward to what the new Jerusalem will be like. But there are no other gods. Where God's name is not misused. We don't bow down to statues. Where God is adored and loved and worshipped, and it's an eternal rest. And where everyone is honored in the new heavens and the new earth. Deliverance first, then obedience. If you haven't been delivered from your sins, don't walk out of here thinking, I'm going to obey these 10. You will not. You need to be delivered first. And Jesus says, I came to give myself as a ransom for many. So come to me and learn how to live again. So if you haven't come to Christ, come to him and he will save you from your sins. And if you have come to Christ, we walk with him now. And now we can walk out of here, not thinking, I'm gonna obey the 10, I'm gonna become righteous, I'm gonna get my life together. No, we've already been made righteous by Christ's law keeping, but now we're gonna live righteously with him and love the Lord our God and love our neighbor as ourselves. And as we walk with Christ towards our new Jerusalem, towards our promised land, we walk with him with empty hands, ready to receive two things from him today the bread, and his blood. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.